Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Shot by Shot. This is Sean. This is Kevin. And we have a very, very special episode for you today with the wonderful Mr. Jeff Smith. He's the cartoonist behind Bone and Rassel, as well as one of the godfathers of independent comics. And we are thrilled to have him on this episode. Yeah, Sean, Jeff Smith is an absolute legend in the industry. I discovered the book Bone when I had first gotten into professionally in comics with my comic book store that opened up in the... 1993 and bone was one of the first books i discovered so it is uh, near and dear to my heart yeah growing up in columbus ohio i used to skip church to get his autograph jeff has a lot to celebrate mainly that bone is coming to netflix jeff's been trying to escort that property uh, beyond comic form for quite some time and he's always been very diligent about making sure it's in the right hands and ends up in the right place. And from what he says on this podcast, it seems like he's finally found a great home for it. I, for one, can't wait. But uh, look, let's let's let Jeff do the talking. And I think Jeff and I had a pretty good time talking about alcohol, too. So <laughs> this will be a fun episode. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you for joining Cheers. us. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> we are here with Mr. Jeff Smith, as well as Kevin and Brian. Uh, so, Jeff, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am drinking uh, a rye, which is a bourbon made with rye instead of wheat. Uh, and it's Kentucky. It's called Bullet. It's spelled like boulet, <laughs> but it's pronounced like the uh, like the bullet. Uh, and it's really good. I really like it. It's only been around for a few years. Uh, it's excellent. Fantastic. Kevin and Brian, what are you guys imbibing on this fine evening? It does have some alcohol content, but it's a, uh, it's a really dark kombucha. Uh, I, I did listen to you, uh, to your, uh, your first three podcasts, or I listened to the first two. And I, you, I, you were talking about pucks of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what that is? Is that a puck of tea that's been turned into a shot? It's a drink. It sort of tastes like carbonated vinegar. Hmm. But uh, yeah. what it is, is it's uh, this sort of mushroom that grows on top of like um, this uh, sugary tea substance, converts the sugar to carbonation. It's supposed to be good for you, but uh, but I like the taste of it and uh, just got addicted to it. So I'm always, no, I bet that is really good for you. That sounds, yeah. that sounds like the kind of thing my wife, the jail would like. She probably's uh, deep in it, man. And uh, and this yeah. is like small batch. This is like uh, made uh, from a yeah a doctor I know. Wait, did you say a doctor you knew? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like uh, does like uh, alternative medicine. Okay. And uh, and she makes like kombucha and stuff like that. Awesome, uh, Kevin. Are you drinking kombucha? Well, you know, I thought about it, but then I realized I didn't know what it was, so no. Uh, <laughs> but I, I've got something kind of cool. I've got a, uh, I'll show you the picture out here, but it's a Taylor Garrett whiskey. A friend from Albuquerque, New Mexico, saw the podcast uh, or listened to the podcast a couple of weeks ago when we launched and sent me this bottle. I said, you got to try this stuff. It's a local kind of brewer of whiskey. What do they call it? Distillery. But yeah, so I'm going to pop that open and give it a shot. And if you l- listen to the podcast, uh, Jeff, you said the third episode, we were about two and a half hours in. To, uh, you know, recording and doing that first session. So by the third one, I had, my bottle was was about half empty. So I've, I've learned. Oh, dude! This. <laughs> well, you you were saying you were you were drinking. I got through. The, I would listen to the first two, and 
you didn't sound drunk at all. Oh yeah, no, was, I think it was the third one. A friend of mine, uh, one of my friends, said, "Oh, you were dropping the f bombs and everything." I was like, "Yeah, I've been drinking for about two hours, so I'll, wow. I'll pace myself better from now on." So Jeff, man, you're in Key West right now. What have you been working on? I was working on Tukey. That was a online comic that I started and I published as a comic book later, like the first half of it. And then I shelled it for about five years while I worked on CXC, this uh, festival that I've been putting on with uh, OSU's Billy Island Cartoon Library. Vijay is helping me as well. And let's see, uh, I've also got a, a bone book, which is called Tall Tales 2, which is sort of like Smiley Bone takes these little bone scouts out and around a campfire, they tell stories. And that gives me an excuse to go back and tell some more stories about the bones in the valley and things like that. Oh, so nice. we're working on that for Scholastic. And then Netflix is, it, we're doing a bone series and I'm currently storyboarding the first episode. Wow. So I did oh, dude. Yeah. dude, that's so good to hear. It's so good yeah. to hear that you're involved in it, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm way more involved in it than I thought I was going to be. Which is is good. I've had That's great. Yeah, we talked for years, man, and, and like Bone was always almost on the cusp uh, of popping up in uh, on film or on the screen, and, and I feel like you were always very, very careful about the direction it went on because you had some amazing deals, but then they would say, you know, we want like Britney Spears songs, and you'd say, nope, nope, uh, uh, this is not pure enough. This is not my vision. So, what did Netflix yeah. give you to finally cross that threshold? Well, for one thing, they got it away from Warner Brothers, which was not cheap. Warner wow. Brothers uh, had that. Yes, I, I was always very, I would rather not have a movie than have a terrible movie. In 20 years, I've stopped more movies than other people. I mean, since I started just even with Warner Brothers 10 years ago, they've done three effing troll <laughs> movies. <laughs> I mean, I, I just saw uh, an, an ad for Trans Hotel Transylvania 3. I didn't know there was a wow. one. Wow. So no, I'm not knocking those movies. They, they might be great. But uh, I, I just, I can't they even are not. made. They are not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, what, what Netflix has done, well, like I said, Warner Brothers at some point, uh, you know how options work. I know you guys all do, but for your listeners, yeah. options work where you know a producer or a studio will purchase the option to explore whether or not they're going to make you know a movie or whatever out of your out of your book, a play or whatever. And only once they decide to really do it, to greenlight it, once the development has been okayed, then they exercise the option and pay for the whole thing to like really own it. Warner Brothers. When they started working with some people that did not understand it. And the studio execs were like, did not want to hire anyone that had ever read my comic. And it was just this really awkward situation where I was like, guys, this is, this is not Bone. I don't even know why you're calling it Bone. Just make a different movie and give me my movie back. And it, long story short, they, it was a hostile buyout. They, they, they purchased the, they exercised the option, sent me a, big ass check and said never talk to us again and then kept the movie for 10 years and i just had to wait wow. and it just came back if they didn't make a movie which i gotta thank them for that right yeah, thank <laughs> thank you for not making it they could have made a bad movie and then I, they'd have owned it forever mm -hmm. but at least they didn't do that and um yeah so about a year ago the rights reverted back to me except 
I had to pay them back everything they'd spent on the movie in 10 years, all the writers, all the, everything they'd ever done, plus interest, plus 10 points. So it was, it was a big hunk of money. And obviously I couldn't buy it back. I, I, but Jay and I toyed around with the idea of like doing a Kickstarter or something. But yeah, we'd say that's, that's not right. So, uh, then, and we weren't going to put it, we weren't going to like tell anybody we got the rights back. We weren't going to shop around. We were kind of done with that. You know, and we're like, this is, this is not fun. So, mm. but word got out and then we started getting inquiries from streaming services and app, not Apple, um, Apple did talk to us, but it was Netflix that showed that they understood it, that they wanted me involved. And then I saw that, oh my gosh, this is the way to do this because the, the big problem I had with the studios was they just were unable to commit to more than one film. They wanted to do you know, a 1,400 page book in an hour and a half children's animated film. Oh, wow. And there was just no way to do it. And I was like, look, we can make, you know, like the first third of it and make it feel like that was a standalone movie. And if it bombs, and I, I, but they didn't want to let me do that. Anyway, I don't want to be boring about it. But with, with Netflix, it can develop exactly the way the comic book did. Mm-hmm. Tra- each, you know, chapter by chapter, and it can build just like in like 11 minute or 22 minute little stories just like the comic i'm super yeah. excited yeah. well I, I think bone is a it's a it's a tough get but it's an easy experience I, I think you actually have to experience it rather than having someone explain it to you for these guys they don't like to actually read or anything like that <laughs> they don't want to experience it well i'll tell you one thing okay so i'm working the guy i'm working with is curtis lee lash and he recently came over to Netflix from uh, Cartoon Network, where he had been instrumental in overseeing Adventure Time, mm-hmm. Over the Garden Wall, uh, Steven Universe. And I think he was part of the SpongeBob SquarePants team. This guy, he's got a, he's got a pedigree. And he said, I kept talking about like, look, I want to, I don't know what my role is really going to be in this because I still want to draw comics. But for the when we start this, I want to be in the writer's room. And he kept saying, there's 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 no writer's room. We do animation. He, he says, well, and I, I actually owned an animation studio for about eight years. Oh, I know how to do animation. I'd been trained and brainwashed and, and browbeaten for 20 years by studios that you have to write a script and you don't draw. And and for God's sakes, don't take your comic strips literally change them, adapt them. Well, he was like, why would we write a script? It's already storyboarded. That seems like it's going backward. And I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the Sin City approach uh, when Rodriguez said, yeah, we'll just. That's, know, ex- that's exactly right. That's fantastic. exactly right. Is it going to be uh, traditional animation or computer or? It'll be 2D hand-drawn. They have ideas of how to do it because obviously we can't do feature level animation, but they say they are really working out ways to present it so that it really looks lush like bone. And I'm curious to see what it is. We were supp- I was supposed to go out there at the beginning of this month, zombie apocalypse. And <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so well, they're, doing, they're doing some crazy stuff with Reefer 2 now, where it's like a combination of 2D and 3D, but the 3D is designed to look like 2D. A lot of the uh, stuff in, uh, in Klaus, I don't know if you saw that, but, uh, huh? but it was like that combination. Of oh, yeah. No, yes. Just Same looks time. brilliant. It looks like the, it, it looks even better than the best Disney stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. we're, I don't know what they have planned. They do have a couple of really good guys involved. Uh, I don't want to say, I don't steal their announcement stuff, but uh, I'm cautiously optimistic for the first time in like two decades. That's yeah. fantastic, yeah. Jeff. You deserve it, man. It's been a long time coming. I'm telling you, 20 <laughs> years, 20 years. I've been not making movies. Like Nickelodeon have it for a while? Am I yeah, it was Nickelodeon and Paramount. Uh, and then it was Sony and Red Roof, but we never announced that one because we were with them for about a month and we were immediately having trouble where they didn't want the bones in the movie. They wanted the movie to be about Thorne and Grandma Ben. I'm like, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, the bones are going to be in it, but they were going to be like C-3PO and R2-D2 or something. I don't know. That was, we got out of that, but it, it dragged on for a while. And then Warner Brothers and it was, Similar problems trying to explain that it's the, it is this story where it's like Star Wars, like in the sense of a you know a hero's journey. It's the stages, but Thorns Luke Skywalker, but the bones are the stars, and that's yeah. really hard to explain. And the only <laughs> this is another good thing about the Netflix guys is I I said go watch the Marx Brothers movie Night at the Opera. Now, the movie is not about the Marx Brothers. The stars of the movie are these two star-crossed opera you know, actors. They, they want to get together, but the powers that be in the opera are conniving to keep them apart, either out of jealousy or power or whatever. So the Marx Brothers somehow get involved and not only get the lovers together and destroy the bad guys, but they destroy the whole opera. I mean, it's, there's no question who the stars of the movie are. But, uh, but it's obviously the, the story is about the, the opera lovers. Because I was getting Bone when it first came out. And it was weird because I thought it was one book, you know, or one story. But yeah. then as the story went on, you know, it started as this like little cartoony thing that slowly morphed into this Joseph Campbell-like thing. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was kind of cool because if I knew what the story was going to be, I pro probably wouldn't have started reading it. No. That's why we did it that way. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm not kidding, but Jay and I talked about this a lot because in 1991, I mean, Tolkien had not re-emerged re as yeah. cool. And I mean, I love Tolkien because I went to college in like 78, early 80s. And Tolkien was still, boom, you know, the Hildebrand brothers were doing calendars. And we were still trying to wonder what, it, what, what everything really looked like. And, and I, but I knew in 1991, if I had said, I'm going to do a big fantasy story, that would have been a, such a turnoff. Cause, oh, yeah. Because yeah. so many sword and sorcery things have, were just such letdowns. Yeah. And... So we decided we would disguise it as like a Donald Duck comic or not a Donald Duck comic like for kids, but a Donald Duck comic tribute kind of for adults to appreciate. And that we would just have, we just try to use humor and we would just kind of see little things in. And Vijaya was totally in on the whole story and the plan the whole time. And I showed her all my ideas and stuff. 
And then at some point, like at, I was getting, I, I even had this idea that I want to do it in three acts because that's what Star Wars was, right? Back then, you had the first three Star Wars movies. Uh, I wanted to do three acts. And I was getting to the end of act one and I was like, I've got to commit to the big story. And it was a little clunky. I think it was a little clunky. Uh, definitely the re reader reaction was a little clunky that, um, what are you doing? You just changed the tone of this. I did go back when I reprinted them in books. And every time I would go back to print with that third book, I would redo that one scene. And now I think <laughs> I finally did it right. It smooths into it a little a little better. Uh, the nice thing is when, when you actually look at the, uh, the Campbell arc, no one recognizes that they're on the hero's journey on the first step right you know that they're just they're just searching to you know sort of get that like solve that inequity is as easy as possible and that's the thing that i thought was cool is that the characters didn't say page one issue one we're about to enter into this epic <laughs> you know it was just like that's exactly oh, that's exactly you know, yeah, it's a yeah, fun right. little story you know and um and that's why I say it's an easy experience because if somebody explains it to you, it doesn't sound like it should work. But when you experience it, it actually works really well. Thank you. That's cool. I have little rules, which I'm now writing down and I'm thinking about them again because as I approach the Netflix team, I had little rules like, um, okay, so phone bone and thorn and grandma Ben can talk to animals like the Ted, the bug and the, this possum and the dragon. But I was like, the townspeople don't ever talk to animals like that. Magic does not exist. So that was the rule. It was when they, when phone bone and thorn would talk to Ted or Miss possum or whatever, it was, it had to be at grandma Ben's farm. No one in the town ever spoke to animals or knew anything about that level of magic and that i just i didn't say that in the comic i just that was a rule i had so. oh wow and there were lots of little rules like that yeah it's funny because i had wondered about that if everybody could hear the talking bugs because you'd think there would be more yeah i assume that you couldn't but it, it didn't hit me either until way down into the book probably on the second read there's something that you don't really think about but yet hey wait nobody ever talks to those guys i played into that at the at the end of the story the little bug goes and he's looking for somebody and he's bouncing around. And he's whispering in humans' ears. They kind of don't realize what they're hearing or they're, I think, well, I th that's what it was. Ted knew where Lucius was wounded. He was off in the wilderness somewhere, the ghost circles. Wow. And uh, the, uh, Ted the bug found a search party and just buzzed in their ear and kind of led them on to there. And then he actually talks, I think, to Lucius's friend, Jonathan, who actually dies in the book, but he whispers in his ear and gives him last words of comfort. So he, I guess they can talk to humans, but they just don't. I guess I don't know what book. <laughs> or maybe they were I don't know all the rules. Nobody was listening. I think that's part of the cool thing is the the fact that no one ever goes, "Hey, you guys look weird." <laughs> you know, like, I just well, that's that's the Marx Brothers thing. I mean, no one in the Marx Bros. movies ever notices that they look like cartoon characters. Yeah. I mean, Groucho's ridiculous mustache. I mean, and, and Harpo, and come on, that ridiculous Italian accent <laughs> for Chico. Oh my goodness. I think that's the funniest thing in, in all those movies. So I, I definitely adopted that. So oh, yeah, nobody's going to yeah. acknowledge. They just kind of think they're outsiders 
that maybe stuck around too long after the big fair, the spring fair or something. Oh, man. I, I remember the first time I saw a duck suit, man. I, I thought I was going to throw up. It was just so <laughs> hilarious. Oh, my. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, that's that's my favorite one. That's my favorite. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, any Marx Brothers fan, that's going to be their favorite one. All, I like all of them. To be, there was like the five Paramount films. And they're all like early sounds. So they were like, and they had been performing them on Broadway, which was weird. They were a vaudeville act, a family vaudeville act. And then they were performing them on Broadway in the twenties. And then, and they were getting more and more popular and uh, Paramount signed them up to do their first Broadway show, which was coconuts. And they pretty much just did it right. Like the stage. And it looks like it's shot like, like, a, like they're just pointing at the yeah. camera at a stage almost the whole time. And also back then there was the first sound things had those big wooden phone booths that had a camera in it because the camera made so much noise. It went, clack, 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 clack. they had to like build like a boxer and so they couldn't move. Wow. But then, but then by the time he got to the Irving Thalberg movies at MGM, they were much, they were much more like normal movies and, and had more better shots and framing and stuff. Oops, sorry, I got carried away. I like to talk about the Marx Brothers. No, we can talk about the Marx Brothers. Oh. Oh, dude, I'm I'm in, man. <laughs> <laughs> so so growing up, man, it was it was different reading Bone because I didn't realize at the time, but it's almost a local comic. Like you have Old Man's Cave, you have Athens, you have all these very central Ohio places snuck in there. And one thing I love that you do is you told me if you have someone who's collaborating on something bone related you take them through a journey through like the real life places that are in the comic. So you actually take them to old man's cave and that's a real place. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. If it's, especially if it's, you know, like, um, who did I take there last? I don't remember, but you, but during the festival, I rarely have time, but the first year or two, I would get a chance to take, you know, somebody from the show, a guest at a cartoonist. I love to take down there either there or like Charles Vess or, Oh man! Uh, oh, oh, I took Charles Vest to Old Man's Cave, and it's much smaller than the Valley and Bone. Old Man's Cave is just Old Man's Cave. It's like this gorge, but it's mind blowing. I've been going there since I was a little kid, and it just—I always wanted to tell a fantasy story there. And it—it it kind of evolved into the the knights who live there and Grandma's story and all that. Uh, but I took uh, Charles Vest there in. Gosh, the late 90s, we were doing the trilogy tour where we were touring with a giant <laughs> collapsible tree that we could set up. And we drove across the country for a month. <laughs> it was, oh, it was awesome. We had roadies and everything. It was so cool. <laughs> it was me and Charles and Linda Medley. And, um, and we, it, we drove across the country and we went, to, uh, we went to Charlotte. We went to Dragon Con. We went to a couple of comic book stores. We went to Chicago Comic Con. And I mean, anyway, it took us a month, but we finally made it. We ended up in San Diego at the Comic-Con right. International. And um, while we were planning that trip, uh, he came to visit me in Columbus. And I took him down to Old Man's Cave and I was walking him around. And, and Old Man's Cave is basically it's like a river and gorge system. So it's a uh, it's been eroded. Uh, by time through ice and rivers and stuff. And there's a creek that runs through the middle and you get really deep down in and if you've seen Rose, Charles really paints, paints it. But while we were walking through there, 
I just wanted to show it to him because I just want to share this, this, this place. But I was going, oh, that's, that's the place over there where the dragons gave the humans the dreaming power for the first time. And that bridge over that walkway, which is this old, crazy arch stone bridge, that's where, you know, Grandma Ben did this or first met Lucius or something like that. And, and, then, and I, and I was just, and it, was, it wasn't stuff I was planning to ever show. It was just stuff I'd made up in my mind as backstory for grandma and the world. And, you know, that's, that's how I built it. And then you, you round this corner and as you come around it, you go through these, around these rocks and around the river and these pine trees and the, all the sunlight's coming in and it's hitting this giant overhang. I mean, it is huge. Uh, I took Larry Martyr there, who was head of Image for a while, and he did, does Bean World. Bean World, yeah. And yeah. we were really, we were really tight during the self-publishing years. We, I took him there, and he went around that corner and saw this old man's cave. He was like, "Oh yeah, Indians lived here year-round," <laughs> <laughs> and it is so super cool. Anyway, so Charles Vess, at that point, turns to me and he says, "I want to paint that." I said, "Paint what?" That story you just told me about Rose, about Grandma Ben when she was young and she was taught the lessons of her order and her, how, what she had to do. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that meant we had to actually write the story, which didn't exist. It was just sort of this loose fantasy I had going. So how much more space do you think you have in the Bone Mythos? Is this a world you could live in for the rest of your career? I hope not, but I'm probably going to. <laughs> well, you still have Tukey. Is, is Tukey something you'd want to revisit? Because I remember that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed Tukey because I'm really into evolution. I'm really into the, the early years of humans. Uh, and I did about half of it about five years ago. Mm -hmm. I put it online. I did comics. And I actually kind of got to know the characters and, I, and the story kind of came clear to me. And I was starting this festival, which was a full-time job for my whole staff for five years. Mm -hmm. wow. um, and now I've, I've, and we made no money for five years. It was crazy. But now there's other people that are president and running it and I can go back. So this past year I went back and I've been thinking about Tukey the whole time. I kind of redid it. I used a lot of the same artwork, but I, we were balloons. I added in pages. I added chapters and went from 80 pages to a 200 page graphic novel. That is 90% done right now. Oh, wow. Dude. So that'll come out at some point, right? At some point, there's no release plans right now. I'm just, but I'm, I'm showing it to people. It's making me very excited, a little nervous because, Oh, did I freeze? No, you're no, fine. No. Brian froze in a very hilarious oh. position. <laughs> <laughs> this is always a good time to drink alcohol all right and he's not so we'll just go ahead here go ahead yeah so this is so this is a bullet rye 95 proof that's lovely yeah it's a it's a good bottle it's a good shape my wife is a big fan of the aesthetic of the cocktail she likes to have uh i, I remember in the 80 in the early 90s she was getting into the martini before restaurants were being called martinis you know but she was into that you know that shape glass had to have like an olive some kind of she called it an accoutrement now i'm uh i drink my bourbon with one of those big giant round balls 
Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. perfectly, perfectly clear. Like you can't even see it. I'm the, the you know, the, the Southerner uh, living in Alabama. So we pretty much, we call this brown water. I mean, you know. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, you were drinking Knob Creek. Yeah, that, that 12 year, that was really good. I was surprised. I am, I approve. I like Knob Creek quite a bit. That's a good sipping whiskey. This Taylor Garrett is really interesting too, because it's a small batch. You know, I guess they've just started in the last year or two. It's got a really heavy, like caramel taste. I don't even know if, if you can get it outside of New Mexico yet. But uh, what's it called yet? I'll write it down. Taylor Garrett. It's, it's good. It's just interesting. It's different. It's got like a, a caramel, vanilla kind of a flavor. I'm enjoying it. And Brian's back. <laughs> yeah, Brian, you froze like this. <laughs> but Jeff, I, I do want to talk about CXC because you put on a lovely, you won't fool me. You put on a lovely, lovely festival in Columbus, Ohio. Our mission was cartoons, which includes animation. And it also, so it's the art of cartooning. So we do animation, comic books, comic strips, graphic novels, obviously it's kind of the same thing. Uh, and editorial cartoons. No, that's kind of where we draw the line. And we have a local institution. We, we got all these different local institutions to play. So we got the Wexner Center has a, a film department and they get in all these, they, and they get experimental animators too. They get, you know, nice. um, and yeah, it's actually pretty cool. And we, we do four days. So we, we focus on what we call teaching talks. We don't do, um, it's not straight panels at first. The first two days are kind of in the campus area of Columbus, the OSU and Wexner Center. We, we, we get people to come in and give talks on how to color, how to, how to get your book published and all that kind of stuff. Educational, but kind of fun and with people who are really into sharing their knowledge. So it's very interesting usually. And then at night, Thursday night, the Wexner will have their guest, um, usually a, a, a film person. Uh, let's see. And then usually Friday night uh, is sort of like our real weekend opening kickoff. All during the day, we have meetings at the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library. And then that night, we'll have a big guest, and I'll either introduce them or I'll actually interview them. And we've had um, Art Spiegelman, we've had Chris Ware, we've had Mike Mignola, Gary Trudeau, Dave Pilkey. Wow. Dave Pilkey, the guy that does Dogman, that was the biggest crowd i've ever seen in my life people say comics aren't We're, doing well comics are doing great just not where you'd expect necessarily oh yeah yeah no i saw a pie chart which of all of comics like two-thirds of it is ya graphic novels you're right. welcome yeah <laughs> <laughs> now, no they're doing pretty good uh I don't spend as much time in the comic book store as I used to. And I do miss that. I don't spend as much yeah. time at shows as I used to. My world is now kind of like that world, uh, especially promoting with the show. And so eight years ago, I would have been reading books like uh, Tom Gauld's Goliath, the guy that does the comic strips in the guardian. And now I'm reading like Amulet and Raina, you know, people doing those kind of books, which are good. I like them. In fact, the only mainstream comic I read was yours, Brian, when you started, you and Coates started doing Black Panther right before the movie. 
because because of the movie and you know it got a lot of hoopla and i started reading it and i was like what the, what the hell do these guys know that this is a comic book <laughs> <laughs> it's really good i in fact i want to ask you are, did okay did did you make up a lot of that uh visual stuff or or did you talk to the movie people or, or was that all from uh, oh, Tanahasi oh. is it where like the, like the fact where the 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 face hood would come around and build yeah, itself. Well, the cool thing is, is, is I was I was in this like great position of like standing next to the giant, you know. And um, and I mean, Marvel just kind of said, "Tahase, do whatever the hell you want." And I'm standing next to him, so de facto, I could do whatever the hell I wanted. Tanahase just kind of like, to his credit, he kind of came into it and said show me how to do that. And he would oh, write the it. script. I go, Oh, I get it. So, um, so it was like, just, just a fantastic experience. Um, and I think in the end, he really understood having someone doing visuals and he understood the lanes, you know, of, okay, the visual artist does this, the writer does this. And, uh, and I think that's a hard, that's hard for a lot of people to understand. Well, that's hard for a professional comic writer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they fill up the whole panel with uh, some little exposition balloon, and then they'll make one guy talk first in one panel, and then the next panel, they make the other guy talk first. You're like, yeah. what am I, am I supposed to make the balloon tails cross? What am I supposed to do here? I don't get that. <laughs> well, the, um, and, and, and this brings up another thing, and this is part of the, little, the place where we cross on the Venn diagram. When I was doing Black Panther, like I got a letter from um, an email from Tanahase saying, "Dude, I don't, I don't do tech. I don't get tech. I don't understand tech. If there's any tech stuff in this, let me know." And uh, and I was just like, "Dude, okay. dude, there's and, so much tech shit in there." <laughs> dude, just like you, <laughs> you're I'm blowing like, my mind I'm right crazy, now. I'm a crazy M theory physics nutbag. <laughs> so, so I just, I just emptied my like M theory physics like in a sort of toolbox into Black Panther. Oh, I am, I, I, my mind is blown here, man. That is amazing because that is really what comes out of there. I mean, uh, clearly he was creating this world that was kind of brand new for uh, yeah. Black yeah. Panther, but the tech part of it is really what blew people's minds and I think what made it into the Marvel movies. I, that, you did a great job. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to our first episode, one of two with Mr. Jeff Smith. Come back next week and we will listen to Jeff talk about Rassel. That's his sci-fi noir. And Jeff and Brian talk a lot about physics. It's insanely interesting. It's insanely tipsy. It's a great time. All right, see you next week.